This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. We're going to keep it short, sweet, simple. One simple topic, uh, probably the most important topic of the weekend that wasn't the band announcement, mm-hmm. and that is GP Las Vegas, which is basically our version of Gen Con. Hell yeah. Uh, but just for magic. So both Reptar and I were vending that event, and we had some, basically just wanted to cover some stuff that that kind of reminded us of or that we felt was relevant okay. in light of Vegas being Vegas. Yep. So. Let's take it away. Yep. Uh, so this is actually my first Vegas. I haven't gone to any of the years prior. So when I was offered the opportunity to go, I, I jumped on it, despite the fact that a number of vendors that had been there the year prior, kind of uh, names in the industry that aren't contracted employees to one company, kind of hired guns, decided that they were not going to go this year because they did not like the way Vegas had been shaping up over years prior. The amount of work you put in for the uh, overall return and I, I kind of set that aside. I was like, I want to go and I want to experience a Vegas GP and see what happens. And I kind of got that firsthand experience of exactly what they were explaining, which is that this Vegas did not feel special as an event overall, but Vegas as a whole outside of the GP is still Vegas, and that's really the draw to this event. Um, we had... The last number I saw, and this was before the event started, was almost a thousand people registered for just solely the command zone. And yep. I don't know if that total meant that they had the the overall total of uh, single day badges for any of the four days combined with the four day badges, or if it was just some amalgamation of like uh, stretched out. I think we had close to 1,700 for the modern GP and then close to a thousand for the modern horizons gp so all said and told as individual numbers 1800 plus 1k is about 28 plus another 800 that's 36 it's almost 4,000 people in that hall just to play magic that doesn't count the individualized foot traffic and i believe i tossed out a tweet if not then i just put it in our private discord about the fact that early on thursday i heard that the expectation was that 4,000 unique people were going to be walking into that room to do something magic related or Hasbro related as the case might have been. Uh, They were pushing Transformers pretty hard. They absolutely were. If you walked into the room, you would have had no idea where the panel stage was or where the Transformers booth were uh, based on layout. But if you did a circle of the room, you would eventually find both of them. Mm -hmm. Everything was kind of well flagged and set up well for the room, but it just didn't feel like it was Vegas in years past. The photos that people had seen and some of the coverage of the floor itself made those events look a lot more grand than this one was. There was a ton of dead space. I'd say a close to the th- a close to a third of the room was completely empty. And my yep. guess is that the reason that there was no air wall up separating the GP from the rest of that room was because that's where the uh, like the food court was. Uh, food court, the Quiznos and the barbecue place. And yeah. then um the gender fluid bathrooms. Yeah. Otherwise, you could do the GP in the other half of the room. You'd still have like the rest of the food court, but you had uh, gender identifying bathrooms on that side. So yep. my guess is that for to sorry not for but to avoid another Charlotte situation, 
or uh, a Montreal where they literally had only male bathrooms until people complained. They opened up the entire hall to make people feel safe and inclusive, which is dope, but that just added this whole extra area to the venue that was just empty and made it feel small and empty as a whole. So I spoke to some vendors that had been there in years past, and last year that half of the room was used and there were people in it. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing I noticed in this... I thought this was a little odd, and I don't know if you noticed it. So I have a habit of using the bathrooms outside of the actual hall because they tend to be much cleaner. Yeah. So if you walked out and went to the right from the hall, there were satellite rooms out there, which was where panels were happening. It's where the blood drive was going on. They intentionally took events out of the room for some reason, Okay. which boggles my mind because there were like four or five, you know, two to three hundred person conference rooms outside of the hall where they had stuff going on. Yeah, they had the huge uh, list of events inside the hall. It was just this giant po uh, pendulum, rather, when you walked in, or yeah. column. And it, it just, like, it felt really bad because you had people that were coming there for stuff that never had to set foot in the event hall itself. Mm -hmm. They never had to be engaged by the Grand Prix. They never had to be engaged by the vendors. They never had to be engaged by... You know, referencing the, you know, Efro's letter, the gathering. Yeah. Whatsoever. It just didn't matter. Yeah. And the, that, that felt really bad to me. It did. Uh, the, the, the event itself just felt like it was an old school Grand Prix where people are coming there just to play the Grand Prix and nothing else. It's, this did not have the festival feel that they want these events to have. And I just can't pinpoint why. Yeah, And so things were really odd in that regard. The one thing I did like, and I would have enjoyed more as a player than a vendor, was that these events fired. It felt like on time, all the rounds yeah. were on time, and all the events themselves were fired very close together. So as a player, you knew pretty much when you were going to start, because any event that started meant that all events were starting. Or maybe you were a minute yeah. or two behind for uh, your current event. You could get there before the 10-minute timeout on your round. As a vendor, that was terrible because we just had these sawtooth bits of population in the room. And we really felt that towards the tail end of the event, uh, like midday Saturday. And then all yeah. day Sunday was the exact same. Sunday, anybody that was in the room was there for the uh, Modern Horizons Grand Prix or the MCQ or the Large Pauper event. There, and that was it? Yep. The spectacle was done. Uh, aside from people still walking around in cosplay and, and the one or two panels that were going on in the, at the panel stage, there was no reason to be in that hall as somebody who just wanted to wander around and see what was going on. You were most likely on your way home or in the the Westgate Casino or maybe at another yeah. casino. And it just created this weird feeling uh, as a vendor. It was not pleasing in that regard. No. Uh, and another thing that this really like reminded me, and I've, I haven't felt this for a while in a few shows, uh, vendor fatigue is real with these things. And it's like, as, as much as you see articles and opinion pieces and tweets about taking care of yourself as a player, mm -hmm. like the vendor fatigue can be pretty real, oh, yeah. uh, at Vegas, especially because, you know, we, so you guys had an Island. And yes. we had just a normal extended booth. And it was really interesting because we had this thing where we would be dead for an hour 
because we didn't have an island. And admittedly, if you want to make money at Vegas, you should have an island. Yes. But we didn't have an island. So we would go through periods where we were just slammed for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then you'd be dead for two to three. And it made it so that you never really had like an accurate time of when you could leave the venue, uh, what was going on. And there were times where it was just draining not knowing one when you were going to leave or two if you were going to be busy for an hour two hours or 30 minutes oh yeah and that's something that i think a lot of players aren't necessarily aware of because like generally as vendors you know we put on our hat we're real happy we have to be outgoing we have to be engaging and that's kind of the thing uh, that I think a lot of people lose sight of yeah. is that these events are exhausting for I, vendors. This is probably one of the first GPs in a while where I still put in a 13-hour day, but even because it's Vegas, like dinner service is still really quick, I was able to get home and get between six and eight hours of sleep, which is enough or more than enough for me personally, and was still drained the next day. And yeah. like you'll engage another human being after that break and sometimes that human being will just ask you how things are going because you look dead tired yep and the admittance is that yes you are because that was just a dead period where everything sets in you have nothing to do your cases are cleaned down your buyers are still going if you have binders or whatever else going on it's all either in motion or dead and if you're not working the station that's in motion, you're either standing there just like feeling all that fatigue, everything, or you're sitting there and it's probably worse. And I don't I don't think a lot of people they don't have to appreciate what we do for GPs like that, or you know, even Sunday have a three day, but it's just not one of those all. things that people don't think about. Yeah. And it's you know, I there was one guy who came back and forth through the weekend and props to him. Because we did probably, I mean, we did five figures in buys from him. Mm -hmm. And he was very good about, hey, uh, like, do you guys want anything? Do you need any water while I'm out? Do you need anything like that? And not saying, like, you have to do that by any means. But it's one of those reminders that, like, hey, guys, we're, you know, we're working. Please try to be reasonable with us. And if somebody does something that you don't like, call them out on it, too. Because I had an exchange this weekend where afterwards I felt like an asshole. And I was like, ah, man, like I I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have like had an attitude if I hadn't been super tired. Like we're all human. It happens. Try to, you know, bear with us there. Yeah. Because these things are brutal. I definitely I I had a few like that somewhere on Sat maybe Sunday, actually maybe late yeah. Saturday with some people like just about bad deck choices or like bad spec pickups. I had somebody literally come up and ask me on Friday for pyramids and I asked them why they would buy into a spike that one doesn't make sense and two isn't going to last. <laughs> and then I ended the exchange with you're bad and you should feel bad. And like granted <laughs> the middle of the exchange was hilarious because the guy like knew exactly what I was talking about. He knew it was uh, like, it was a POS spec. The guy who bought him out posted on Reddit earlier that day while oh, yeah. he was sitting there with his little like uh, latex gloves on, sleeving everything. Yeah. And like it was a good exchange overall. So even when I'm a dick like that, it's at least fun in both directions. But there, uh, not that guy. It was another guy. I was talking about a bad deck choice. Uh, yeah. Like 
we had a little bit of a conversation afterwards, but he didn't walk away with a smile after the interaction, so I felt like a dick. So Yeah. It, but it, it just happens. You're there. You're doing math all weekend long. You're just being, and even though it might be simple math because you've got it all set up on uh, in a spreadsheet or on your phone and it's going, you still like it's just all mental processing. For I think we clocked. I said 13 hours, but that doesn't include setup or teardown. So we did oh, almost yeah. over 50 hours in the in that four day span. Like, yeah, over 52. That that would be 13 times four, right? That's Easily, including. yeah. Yeah, because we pallet chip, so that's another hour and a half, two hours worth of teardown. Yep. And it'll just eat you. Like, I love anime shows because they open late and they close early. I can do six to eight hours easy. Then I go home. No problem. Eat well and then play EDH or Cube to my heart's content with the rest of the guys at the booth. Like, yeah. anime shows are nothing, but GPs, man, those are another story. And this four-day one was no joke with the way things were scheduled. Yeah. Uh, it's It's interesting. And it's, you know, this isn't necessarily a financial, a hard finance episode, but it's one of those like peel back the curtain things mm-hmm. to try to help people out that aren't necessarily on the vendor side. Yeah. That's, you know, you're the player, you're the casual finance speculator, whatever the case may be. And, you know, I, I think it's important to try to have that understanding both ways. Uh, and on that note, you know, there's... Another thing that went on at Vegas, and I'm not going to get into too much specifics here out of respect for the vendors involved, vendor to vendor drama can be very real sometimes. Um, and it's not necessarily something that impacts the finance game, but it may be something that impacts your interaction with vendors mm-hmm. is that, you know, there's certain people in the industry that have like an impeccable reputation and there are certain people that just don't. You know, people think one way of you if you associate with Dan Bach. Uh, people think one way of you if they see you associating with Nocenti. And it's always very interesting because if you pay attention as like a casual observer, you can kind of pick up on some of that stuff or when there is a little bit of vendor drama going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed, uh, at the start of the weekend, MTG Mint had Lotus floated on their buy list. As, like, top dog, top left. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was like that way in Minneapolis, too. Uh, by the end of the weekend, they copied the 95 model, mm-hmm. which is have UC and Volk yep. as the floating on top. And and it's it's always interesting to see this because that's the type of thing that, like, if you pick up on it at the event, you can kind of play off that. And not necessarily, oh, yeah. like, pit the vendors against each other, but, like, hey... You know, I'm coming here. I've got this card. They have it floated on their hot list. Can you match that? The worst they're going to do is say, go sell it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I feel like not a lot of people do. uh, Because I've I had people come up this weekend and they were like, you know, it's it's on the hot list for this much, but I'll take the number you're giving me. Yep. If you just say, can you match the number? The worst we'll do is say no. You may get more. And it's not like I'm going to be like, get out of here and flat out refuse the buy yeah yeah and and i think that's a very minor thing that not a lot of people capitalize on that they should oh absolutely uh uh, like good graces side of things on uh friday uh thursday because this is four uh i knew our our price for ren and six off the top of my head because it was locked in and we thought we would pick some up so when people would come by offering the single card ren and six i could tell them as a sales rep off the top of my head yeah. And eventually I found out that the booth literally won before was buying them for much more. 
So somebody would ask me later on in the day, like, what are you paying on Ren and Six? I would give them my answer and they would give me like a hem and a haw, like, oh, I'll go shop it around somewhere else. And I would just tell them, go over there then. Who, not, who not was like, the 80 in the room? That was, was the it... booth next to us. Okay. That was, I, uh, yeah. Good games. Yeah, good games. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, like, Australia. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, we, we, we had the same thing. We had someone that's like, well, they're offering 80 over there. I'm like, I can't match that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can do 80 credit. Yeah. And they were like, okay. And took that. Yeah, and I'd let them know what our what our bonus is, and yeah. you know if they wanted cash out, obviously they, I, I'd point them in the right direction. Like, yeah. uh, so uh, there's the good graces side of that, and then there's the opposite side, which is I think Sunday morning or maybe Saturday morning. We walked into uh, Vegas was set up interestingly. When you walked in, it was like an upside down, or sorry, it was like a, the well, the letter U, but the bottom was extended out a lot further. Yeah. When you walked in, right. And if you were walking down the main, the middle aisle and turned around to look at the back side of that uh, front line, one of the booths out there must have went out the night beforehand to a Staples and bought what, what was like a four foot. Yeah, what, what's up on the screen? But uh, entrance up here. Yep. So if you walked down the main aisle and turned around, one of the booths had like this three foot by four foot piece of yellow oak tag. That fucking toa every time two things on it the the promo soul ring because they I, I, either their price was bad or they weren't offering on it they just wanted to pick some up and renin six and they like they didn't double the buy list price from a lot of people on the soul ring and the renin six but they like 1.25 or 1.5 x for the first few hours that morning and then they took it down and that's not like a shady thing to do that just kind of no. breeds a little animosity when you walk in and you're like you, you want to step step it up be a little more professional than just that like we're an industry that people think are just full of scumbags and people that are out to get you and just sharpie on a piece of poster board is not the way to get somebody's attention and really earn their trust you might yeah. be paying more so they might just throw one card at you for cash but like the expectation is that everybody should be semi-professional when it comes to this stuff and it just yeah. aggravates other vendors because now you know and you can see clearly why you're not buying any of these cards. Yeah. And buy list and hot list generally aren't a secret. You can almost everybody day one sends around one worker bee to go take mm -hmm. photos or pick up buy lists. And the same thing on Sunday to see what's going on or to start the vendor to vendor transactions for the end of the event when you just move stock around from one area to another. Yep. But. Uh, you, you got to pick your battles, and that's not one we're going to fight. You're just going to look at it and be like, ah, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> really? Like, we had people yeah. comment on the the weight of the paper that we use for our bylaws because we always pick a hardy stock. And they're like, this paper is legit. It's in color. You guys do a great job with this. I'm like, yeah, we try. As face. You know, it's yeah. not a regular piece of paper. It's a little hardier. It's going to survive going into your binder, into your backpack. It's just going to be, it's a little more robust. We spend the money on it, and yeah. it, it survives. You know, you know, but yeah, that's that. That's that. Yeah, that uh, I, I wish I could say that isn't common, but that's one of the more like. I don't know that petty's the right word, but it's something that I think a lot of people see as petty that isn't at all like uncommon. Yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of people just assume that everything's always happy go lucky, but that may not always be the case. Yeah. And. And I and I understand and people and other people should too that not every vendor is stationed where 
they're doing the majority of their Grand Prix. So you look at somebody like Galactus, and they go between basically Japan and the U.S. for the most part. Yeah. But their kit includes TVs. They have yep. TVs. They bring or little monitors they bring with them now, or maybe they're stationed here in some in Japan, and they pick them up as they go. Like under yeah. other vendors, just ship everything around in suitcases. So that's what they have. They have the suitcases as an easel, so to speak, and then they have a, the whiteboards that go on top of it. That's how they can do this. You know, yeah. they they don't have the margins, or just think it's easier for people to take a photo and reference later. Not everybody strikes on with a twelve-page long buy list. You know, and you, you please have leave be, them in the order they appear. Yeah. That, I mean, I get that because it's easy. It, it, it was a yeah. pain in the butt, but I understood why. But, like, the hand scrawled on Oak Tag that wasn't there before, that was obviously meant to do one thing. Like, pick it up a little bit. Come Even, on, uh, who is it? Is it MTG Mint that uses the projectors? Yes. That setup's dope. Yeah, that setup is great. Yeah. They have two projectors, like, one inside the booth and one outside, and you so you can see the bialist from like 180 degrees in front and behind. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. But I dig it. We talked about a room setup. Yeah. Right, a little bit, and uh, Thirsty put up that image of of the room. The yeah, the layout overall was great, except at the top of that U. Uh, where where he's pointing now, was this gigantic area yep right where he's pointing now i'm going to bring this up this is the command zone this is the area that housed at any time probably 1.3 to 1.5 x this many people it was never full and sadly uh yeah. maybe for the commander event on friday night and was awkward to see when you walked in that I think helped kind of kill the mystique of this GP. You walked, yep. anytime I left the room to go get a coffee or go get lunch and came back, I walked into, uh, and you can see there was the one, the main door that you come, that you came in, walked right into an empty command zone. What you can't see is behind me, there's another door that walks into the artist alley, and then further down in the other part of the room that was uh, empty behind the panel stage yeah, uh, was another set of doors. So you effectively walked into an an area that was half full, maybe, and the main reg, and you were just kind of awash in a sea of nothingness. You could see some of the vendors behind that, and then after that, it just became a blur. You had to wade into the room to figure out what was going on. Yeah. And I, I think if this is the way Vegas is going to be moving forward, then we're going to see a lot fewer people start coming out to these events. Not because of the command zone set up, but because they're trying to do so much at these events, it's just going yeah. to dilute the player pool, and they're doing it so often that it's no longer as special. Yeah. I mean, the first year they did Vegas, it was a huge spectacle. Uh, and, you know, it, it was the place to be. And for the first two to three years, it was still the place to be. And there's still plenty of big names in the industry that show up, mm -hmm. but most of them spend their time at the casino now. Yeah. They'll walk around the floor day one, you know, shoot the shit, talk to the people they know. But by the end of it, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, do this other stuff. And it feels much worse than I think it should because, like, you know, when you go from a 4,000-person event where you have 
everyone who's anyone there, just being degenerates, throwing cash on the table, making seven-figure deals. And then you go to what we have now, and it seems almost like a smaller affair. Yeah. And not to mention, 36 vendors is brutal. Oh, yeah. Compared uh, to... Would you say 36 or would you say 34? I guess it was 34, because there were... The, not Upper Deck. Ultra Pro was there, and the uh, investment app guys that made the post on Reddit were yeah. also there. So there were there were 34 vendors and two personalities. Um, you know, and that, that felt a little bad, too. But yeah. I, I don't want to think... You know, I don't want to anyone to think that I didn't enjoy my time there. I thought Vegas was great and there were definitely some highlights. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, I based two, two uh, Paladin level supporters, thanks guys, that work with me at the booth definitely helped me get through the weekend. Uh, and then Dan Monaghan from the Laboratory Maniacs, meeting him was great. Nice. Uh, got to have a fanboy moment and, you know, sold them some cards. That was good. I don't know what highlights for you were besides middle school was great because I haven't played in months. Yeah, so yeah, no, uh, that was dope. I did have a a fan of the the, the cast come up and like he was behind me was the buy station. I was sitting down and people have come up to face and say they like the podcast to whoever's <laughs> there because yeah. face to face does have a podcast series. So yeah. like he was interacting with a or they were interacting rather with a, a buyer. Yeah, and so I just didn't think anything of it, and I I, I just generically said thank you because he was kind of, they were kind of looking past the the buyer, and then it just clicked that it might not have been for the face podcast. So I asked which, yeah, and I was uh, a fan of the the Cabalcast. So thank you for coming out and introducing yourself. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's nice to be loved. That that and the Heelys. The Heelys were also oh, another the, good. Yeah. The the, the Thursday only Heelys that turned heads. That was awesome. Yeah. That, I got to get a pair of those. I would have worn them more, but it just was too crowded the rest of the days. Maybe Sunday, but by that time, yeah. like, my feet were done. I switched back to my vans. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, I watched a, a collector's edition get sold, sealed. Nice. Which was nice, yeah. You know, overall, in, inside the the convention, it was basically just interacting with people was the highlight of uh, the event and doing what I was there to do, which is be sales. Yeah. You know, whenever I had to tell somebody that I didn't have something because we just didn't have it in stock at all that weekend, it felt bad. But whenever we sold yeah. out of something, it was fine because we had it. They just got there late. Right. But you know, I'm there to help. So whenever I can, I feel better about it. And then just interacting with people and not keeping them at the booth because I want to sell them something, but giving them a conversation that they'll, walk away smiling about because they had a fun time i think i spent yeah. 30 minutes talking to some dude about the budget goblins list that saffron olive piloted a, a couple of weeks ago you yeah. know stuff like that is what uh interests me or learning a little more about what people are building and to help point them in the direction they need to go or maybe make suggestions that they hadn't thought about yet yeah like uh, for for me that that that's all kind of lump sum uh, a highlight of of any event really Vegas itself there was no mystique to the event compared yeah. to what I'd heard years prior yeah uh, I I did almost jump in on the Legends box opening 
that graded power was going to do. Good old Russo, yeah. Yeah. But I decided not to, because I wouldn't have been able to be there for it. I would have had to pay one of my, or not pay my friend, but give my one of my friends the money, because we were going to split the pack. Yeah. But, I don't know, it just, it felt like another Grand Prix that was just larger. A Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would have been cool if the panel stage would have been closer so I could have seen what was going on there or heard what was going on there every now and then it was just some random hoopla. Yeah. You know, yet again somebody else got proposed to. Yep. On for site. the fourth time or yeah. whatever. I think somebody got shotgun weddinged. Nice. Uh where was I? I'm officiated. Come on, guys. If you need me to do your wedding, call me. Yeah, yeah. Or it just... wasn't at the Taco Bell wedding chapel though. I do know that much. <laughs> That's the best one by far. I know, I know. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it was it was just a bigger normal GP. It, yeah. it does seem like some of the prestige is gone. Um, but eh, them's the breaks, I yeah. suppose. I mean, Vegas is Vegas, right? People are going to go to Vegas because they want to go to Vegas. In the end, yeah. they either need to hold it every year but make something else the actual like real destination to go to and change that up, or do Vegas every other every other year to really give people some time to rest, relax, recharge, and forget that this is a thing. Yeah. When you do it every year, people have an expectation of what's going to happen, and it's really hard to continuously top that. And I think the yeah. command zone was a great part of that. It was a good way yeah. to try and top that overall. I just don't think it succeeded where they wanted it to. Yeah, I don't think it needed that much space. No, uh, and I... I get that you had a ton of people sign up, you wanted to take up space, but that was to me just not the way to do it. Yeah, uh, the... They could have refaced the the GP 180 degrees and put the command zone at the other end because they had judges ensuring that your badge said command zone. So as yep. long as you knew where it was in the room, you could be corralled that way pretty easily. People just couldn't really walk into that zone without buying a badge right then and there. But once you yeah. know where it is, go for it. But they that didn't represent the majority of the players as a GP. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's I, fair. I'd like to see Vegas done again in, in two years or maybe next year with some more spectacle to it if they change up the events. If you, like, the old school event, despite what happened with the, with the top eight the first time, was a pretty dope inclusion, but that didn't generate a whole lot of buzz. Last no. year, the buzz was the Legacy GP. Because yeah. you don't get that often. Why not just make every Vegas a Legacy GP plus? That has some mystique to it because very rarely do you get to see Legacy at the GP level. So already you have that combined with Vegas. You yep. know, just blow blow the doors off. Put a vintage tournament there. Like old school is cool, but you know, like do dumb things on camera or in person and like put it up on a giant TV for people to watch. Yeah. Like sure you have the booth there, but why can't you stream it somewhere else on site? you know in the back of the room just create a, a holding pen or a waiting area they have the vip area but you know that they get their own things make something a little more public i don't know i don't know let like... the degenerates be degenerates yeah. that's what begas is for it's for degeneracy just let it happen exactly so I, I feel much the same way i do about like packs i'm gonna have to be coerced to go back there again or they're just going to have to step up their game and then i'll go and yeah. i don't really blame channel for this much no. like I, you can't blame Channel for a low a low modern attendance at the Grand Prix level after Modern Horizons dropped. Channel's not yeah. in control of that. All they're in control of is the scheduling. And by the time they scheduled 
every modern GP after Modern Horizons actually dropped, there was most likely no, they most likely had no idea that Modern Horizons was a product. Because yeah. you have to schedule this stuff so far in advance, and we had no idea that Modern Horizons was coming until maybe eight-ish months ago. Uh, At which point we already knew what this GP was going to be, so it didn't... Yeah, and we are, yeah, and we knew Vegas was coming, we knew there were going to be modern GPs after the set drops, but how's Channel supposed to know, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I have faith in them to do better at Vegas and keep it bumping, but I need to see it first before I really yeah. want to come back and vend again. Yeah. I might go as a, a player just because it's easy to come and go and I still get the Vegas experience. experience yeah. yeah. I mean, look, if they do a Legacy GP, that'll be my show off and I'll go play in Vegas. That's yeah. fine. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I know. Oh, well. So that's that's all I have on the topic, really. So you want to yeah. start with the picks then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll go first on this one because this is an interesting topic. So uh, my pick uh, for the week is something that I mentioned before and I spec'd on a little bit myself. It is Mystic Forge. And I honestly forgot because from flying Thursday, <laughs> Wednesday and to Thursday to pick a card, uh, I picked this later in the weekend. Mystic Forge is a card that was just restricted in Vintage, yes, but was not highly played in Vintage. Where I was seeing my requests for this card and what my expectations were when I bought in a couple of weeks ago was Modern, Legacy, and EDH. And right now, and uh, there's a thread on the Reddit, uh, a subreddit for MTG Finance that's wrong, that Vintage drives this card. We can take a look and see that it's actually <laughs> Eldrazi Tron, Affinity, Charge Tron, Bomberman, and like, there's two Vintage there's, decks. Yeah, there's plenty of decks for this that it's a four of, and frankly, I think it's a very uninformed opinion to think that Vintage drives finance on much of anything. Yep. So we have a brand new card, ish, right? That sees play in uh, a number of decks that do well. The uh, the Etron deck is just just does well in modern. It's uh, by the numbers the the best Tron deck over the last uh, few from months. War of the Spark, so from War of the Spark forward, Etron yeah. has put up a better win rate against the entire field than Tron, despite the fact that Tron won the MC, right? But what I found out when I was at Vegas, because I got a number of requests for this card, uh, for, for just Forge, and those are people playing the Modern event. When people asked first for Mythic Forge, and then had an additional request of Kaikar, yeah. that's when I got Inquisitive. Yeah. So, for the most part, the driving force behind this card that I have seen is actually Elsha of the Infinite, the brand new Jeskai Commander. This there is a list out right uh, right now that's floating around that has uh, Al shows the commander starring Mythic Forge and it's a very tight ninety nine. So people are already following this card, or sorry, this list. People are already building this deck with uh, Alsha and Kaikar, and Mythic Forge is a huge part of it. I asked about Experimental Frenzy and that's not in the list because the majority of this deck is colorless. You just yep. flip over artifacts in this deck to pump prowess, to pump spirits, and effectively go infinite with Kaikar. So that bump that we saw uh, in Mythic Forge, where the average inflects uh, bigly by about two dollars, uh, 
yeah. uh, and then drops back down after the restriction, we should see that flip and again, and we're going to continue to see this card rise because there is immediate EDH demand for this. Yeah. And as we've been saying, right now, EDH is the finance driver. Casuals love it. Yep. Casuals drive the market. Exactly. That's just how it is. And the longer this card exists, unrestricted in other formats, the better it gets because this interacts with colorless cards off the top of your library, uh, including land. Oh, you cast. But you can... Yeah, it's cast. You can pass by your lands every turn if you want. It's, it's especially, like... It is experimental frenzy without the downside. And mm -hmm. I think that's very important for decks like Affinity. Yes. which we're already running red and there were some experimental frenzy affinity lists that were absurdly fast mm -hmm. but having mystic forge that not only lets you still use the resources in your hand but can also just get rid of your bad cards seems pretty good to use as a four of yes um so i i think it's a solid pick uh there's definitely room not just for edh but for modern as well which is now wide open because well, each of us got a little bit right about the ban list. I am personally overwhelmed at the vintage decision. Uh, but I think there's a lot of room for this card to grow. I think you're right. And I think that right now especially is a good time to pounce because mm -hmm. it just got restricted and people are like, eh, I guess I'm going to get off this card now. It's restricted. Yep. and it's At $5, it's not the easiest card to get into. Uh, it was easier a couple of weeks ago when it was you know sub-2. But yeah. this is going to card that's this is the kind of card that is just going to get better over time. One of the decks that we haven't seen for a while in Legacy is Mud. It's yeah. Metal Worker, essentially, and we talked about this last week with Manifold Key. Yeah, we did. The Mythic Forge can slot right into that deck and you can just start playing cards right off the top. And uh while neither Voltaic Key nor Manifold Key are banned in Legacy, you can key this and start taking cards off the top of your library and effectively continue to go infinite if you want you don't need infinite yeah. quote unquote. Um, you don't need staff of domination in the deck really if you want to go truly yeah. infinite staff if you just want to play uh, an aggressively like mid-range game you can play this and just take control and maybe rebuild modern yeah. legacy there's a lot going on with this card and it's just going to continue to open up over time yeah uh, you on the other hand went for something <laughs> a little more specific <laughs> I went full-on, dirty, filthy, casual. Uh, Juntu Stake. It is a card which most people forget exists. Uh, and I think that it's the type of thing that has potential for EDH that one day people will wake up and realize this is a card again after they forgot for years. And I've actually been watching this for a few weeks now, waiting for like, all right, is it real? Is it not? Mm -hmm. Because it, it was like a fringe CEDH playable that, you know, I kind of have a soft spot for that stuff. Uh, CEDH was my format. I know it's not a casual format, but it does occasionally influence regular EDH. Yep. June 2 stakes. Two mana for an artifact. Creatures with power one or less don't untap during their controllers on the tap steps. This shuts down any elf strategy, any sapperlings, anything like that. If you have friends that love token decks, this is the card for you. Yep. The foils over the last three weeks have gone from 36 listings on TCG to 9 listings. Card Kingdom has been sold out the entire time. Star City has periodically restocked one or two. And the foils are sub $2. It's never getting printed again. 
ever. It's a stacks card. Oops. Wizards doesn't like stacks cards like this because they don't let everyone play the game. Uh, yeah, Card Kingdom's still out. Star City only has two played foils. And we have nine total listings on TCG. Yeah. For reference, the last time Meekstone was printed, the opposite, uh, it looks like Power 3 or greater, was 7th edition. And it was then it was a masterpiece, which is just a gimme, right? You don't have yeah. to count that. It's just something special. 7th no. edition, that was like 2002, 2003? Something like that, yeah. It's been and... 17 years since Meekstone was printed. Effectively yeah. the same amount of time as Gen 2 stakes. Yeah. No commander product, no supplementals, nothing, nothing on Meekstone. And all it does is tap down big fatties. Yeah. And it's the foil from 7th edition is $60 oh, TCG low. That's absurd. Yeah. And June 2 is the opposite effect, which I honestly think has a bigger impact on the game than Meekstone because you do hit all of their dorks. Oh, yeah. You yeah. hit all of their tokens. You hit all of that stuff. And I just think eh, for sub $2 for a foil, eh, buy five of them. Sit on them. I, Forget about them. Put I, them in a box. I, th I think this is good, and I think something that can't be understated is the effect this could have in areas where people play Canlander or uh, the Australian variant. Because there yeah. are token decks, people. There were a lot of people in Vegas compared to every other GP I've worked at talking about uh, Canlander and CEDH in particular. Yeah. And in those formats, you do see token decks, and this just shuts those guys down. This takes care of all the dorks, and all you have to deal with are any of the pump spells that happen. And that's a lot easier than trying to manage yeah. everything. Ever the whole board when you've got twenty saprlings swarming at you or. A million elf tokens. I did not know this was the card until you mentioned it. And yeah, I, it, people really just funny. forget that stuff from this era exists. Yeah, and it's always interesting to me because there's cards like this that are like a really unique effect that seem to have a decent power ceiling, mm -hmm. and people are just like, "Yeah, I forgot this is a thing." Yep, and then it disappears, it spikes, somebody mentions it, and then FOMO. Yep, and that's just how it works. Yep, and then the similar to like. Collapsing Borders. There's another one that people forget. Or Thoughts of Ruin, yeah. I picked from a few weeks ago, was sparked literally by a conversation between you and I that was, what's that card that deals damage for cards in hand? Oh, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. how I was like, wait, that's my pick. There we go. Or, yeah, they sack lands equal to. Yeah. Because we were talking about Wildfire and cards we'll never see again. I'm waiting for that pauper spell, the red spell from Torment, what is, whatever sands that does nothing unless you have Threshold. Swirling, Swirling sands, sands. It, like that's the same thing. Yeah, it's in deck lists and it just kind of floats along. And a lot of people don't remember or know what that card is unless they play Popper. And then at that point, they're probably intimately familiar with that card. But the moment yeah. somebody just scoops all the foils, that's it. That card is gone. Yeah, I last year, uh, foil Swirling Sands were thirty dollars. They're now down to five dollars or Swirling Sandstorm. Sorry, because people forgot it was a thing and then all of a sudden wait i need these and this is what you're looking at with like a june 2 stakes yep is you're gonna have something like that then fomo happens and that's how you make your money on it yep and i i agree i don't think this is a card that's coming back because it slows the game down it cuts the legs up from underneath too many decks for watsy to just toss us in us in a supplemental and it just is a solid pickup whether your playgroup involves tokens or not or CEDH or Canlander or the Australian 
uh, Highlander variant. This is just a card you can pick up and sit on and then buy a list in a couple of years. Or yeah, I mean, if they all disappear shortly, immediately after that. That's fair, yeah. I just, it's, you know, the, the, at $2, it's hard to lose. Yeah. You're, you're paying less for this foil than you are non-foil Mystic Forges, a card that was just restricted in Vintage and is putting up results in Modern only currently. Yeah. Because there are no results in EDH. Nope. You just have None to wait. whatsoever. No, you just have to wait for it to bubble up on uh, EDH rec on the population report and then eventually hit stocks and then people will buy in. Yeah. So. But at that point, you are literally just waiting for FOMO and nothing else. So. No. I I, I like I like Gen 2 Stakes as a hold. I do. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think that's going to cover it for this week. Next week, we'll probably talk a little bit more in depth about the ramifications of the BNR that aren't just the immediate inflation of World Wake Stoneforge Mystic prices. And the swords, of course. Uh, we had a meme tweet that I sent out that resu- that is about that that we'll touch on, so definitely tune in next week. Oh, yeah, we got to see what happens at the SCG this weekend. I'm excited. Speaking of which, I will be there, so if you were down at Dallas, come check me out at MTG First, powered by Moose Loot, nice. and sell me your cards. Uh, outside of that, guys, uh, we will catch you next week. I am MTG. I'm uh, sorry. I am Hot Time Reptar. Oh God, Vegas. Yeah. Still kicking us. I am at Thirsty Sizzler. We are MTG Cabalcast on Patreon and Twitter. And I believe now that we're both back and have our C19 sets, we will be announcing the draw date or the last date to entry, and then the draw date for our giveaway on that. Yep. So pay attention to our Twitter, and then remember to sign up for uh, our Patreon just to get in on that and. Uh, enjoy the sweet conversations that we've been having about portal 3k and the collectability there yeah i saw that i was like ah, i'm gonna stay out of this one <laughs> it's a good conversation how many people actually talk about the entire p3k set other it's just seal recruiter and dragon usually like yeah that's it but there's plenty of other stuff in there like warrior's oath yeah no, it's pretty decent the cheat is the cheetah in there yeah, yeah. i think so yeah a rampant growth cheetah that's like a million dollars for whatever reason yep. yeah like it's a good conversation come and join us yeah but we'll see you guys next week yep see you guys